Hey there, John. What news from uh, from New York City? Well, I feel like I should uh, I should ask you that, Ethan, given that you were running around the, the UN building, uh, getting quotes and talking to people and asking US spokespersons, uh, sorry, UN spokespeople questions. I don't know if chicken with its head cut off <laughs> really does it justice what I was like today. I think tomorrow when I show up, uh, there will be at least one security guard fully attached to me at all times. I was opening up doors that uh, were clearly not meant to be opened, you know, walking down hallways, getting yelled at. Um, it was a lot of fun. You're going to be on wanted posters. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I kind of hope uh, I never get invited again. That would be a sign that I've uh, done my darndest this week. Well, exactly. You, you've, you've embraced the startup ethos of... Um, don't ask for permission, ask for forgiveness. Open the door and then say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know that that was not where I was supposed to be. But well, now I'm here. Okay, well, <laughs> so you, you had a lot of time. You, you had a lot of time to reflect on the SDG Summit, the Sustainable Development Goals. What did you make of today or yesterday, Monday? Well, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I uh, For those of us who are following along with the newsletter closely, um, you'll already be aware that I, I wrote a little bit of an opinion piece on on the sustainable development goals in, in yesterday's newsletter, just kind of asking the question about whether the constant kind of like negative and very warranted negative, to be clear, because we're not close to hitting any of these sustainable development goals um, at halftime. You know, they're, they're due by 2030 and it looks like a pretty grim um, progress chart. But I just, I just asked whether it is productive to consistently be kind of negative about um, about progress. Um, and I got a bit of heat from that today in the emails, but you know nothing's really pushed me off my question about that because again, I thought today was again, nothing that you can disagree with, nothing that's you know factually incorrect, but just the general messaging out of this stuff is everything's going to hell, nothing's going well. and I, and I just kind of asked that question of like, Okay, but uh, where's the hope? Where's the ambition? Where's the, uh, the the inspiring people to get off their couch? Yeah, I mean, we we heard a bit of that in the opening statement. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't entirely clear what the SDG summit was. From my vantage, I heard there were speeches from Secretary General Guterres. There was a, a speech by Dennis Francis, the the presiding officer, mm-hmm. the president of this year's UNGA. There there were some others. It wasn't entirely clear what else was going on behind the scenes. They they adopted right. a political declaration, but I would say the general tenor from the speeches that I heard were disappointed but optimistic. Okay, well, well, that's good because I think that's probably a fair a fair position to take. I I wonder maybe then if that's the kind of if it's getting filtered through a media and uh, and, and general politicians who who like to exaggerate that element rather than the people in the rooms, the diplomats right. who are kind of doing the work, who see the hard work that goes into it and they see the progress, they see what needs to be done as well. But it's that nuanced picture. Well, yeah, if you, if you want to get a, a really clear sense of that fiery optimism, uh, my favorite speech this morning was from Maeda Adil, who is a, a Sudanese medical doctor. Here's a long CV. Ready for this? Sudanese I medical know, doctor. And, and, she's, and she's young and it's so depressing how much yeah. she's achieved. But she, go ahead. <laughs> I think she's 28, 29 maybe. Oh, Sudanese medical it. doctor, fashion designer, women's rights advocate for health equity and a refugee rights activist who works in the Secretary General's Youth Envoy Office. Uh, here's what she told the General Assembly this morning. So as we gather to recommit to the SDGs and ignite actions, I invite you to look in this room and to look around you and tell me what do you see? 
I tell you what I see. I see a hall filled with head of states, decision makers, and power holders. But I do not see my tribe, the youth tribe, the one who've been left behind. Every year, you invite a different young person to this stage to remind you of your commitment to humanity. Last year, there were young people from Afghanistan, Ukraine, Uganda, Pakistan, Nigeria, and Argentina. Today, it's only me standing in front of you, and I have a big shoes to fill as I remind you again of the many promises that you have made and to keep you accountable for the actions and inactions. Yeah, well, I mean, she's clearly, uh, she's clearly not thrilled with the progress uh, so far towards the, the, the goal, though, I think it's fair to say, from, from that clip. It, well, that was just what she said publicly. I, I was actually really lucky, John, to, to catch up with Maida after her speech in the lounge area for a quick chat, here's what she told me. We have a lot of things to say. We want them to put us as a partners. We wanted, we wanted a lot of things, and uh, they gave a short time. I made it concise in the demands of our youth around the world. I mean, I'm, I'm a young person, so it was exciting to, to hear my voice represented on stage. What was the most important message for you to get across today? I think the fact that um, they always promise that we're going to make the world the world is more equitable and and the humanitarian system can be more responsive and inclusive and i think i wanted to uh call the world leaders for that like um there's a lot of crisis going on in this world and now we see the slagging behind and delay in making actions and i wondered why and i, I really wanted an answer why they're lacking behind or making more um, commitment towards the global south specifically because we know that the aid is all directed to the global north and it's the power dynamic between the countries if the country is um, have uh, and can be in in a power ge geopolitically benefiting some countries they will definitely take the lead in given the humanitarian response to it. We're deeply affected, and me as a Sudanese person, we're deeply affected by this. I cannot give a diplomatic answer anymore. Yeah. There's no time for it. You are from Sudan. Yes. Can you tell us a bit about what's happening there and, and how an organization like the UN can help? Well, in a, we're in a very catastrophic situation. The humanitarian crisis is increasing every day because due to the war, it's been almost six months since the war erupted in April 15. Um, the, 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 the situation is getting worse day by day. Um, what I was expecting from the UN, um, and I have stated this in the Security Council when I briefed the Security Council and, uh, on the 13th of September, I was expecting them to make more blood, more, uh, more, um, more initiative to take to take that to reduce the pain of the Sudanese people. Mm. Um, I expect to be more responsive because they have they have the global system in their hands. So I expect that um, they fasten the rhythm for the for the response. Mm. Yeah. Anything you're looking forward to doing while you're in New York City? 
Oh, interesting. <laughs> I still have a couple of engagements, so I'm still having this tough week. Yeah. Um, interesting thing I was, I was do, I think. Um, I want to try the pizza, that one euro okay. called Pizza Joe, something like that. Joe's you know, Pizza. Joe's Pizza. Exactly. I want to try that. That could be interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Well, it's great to meet you. You were terrific today. Thank and you so much. Good luck with the rest of the week. Thank you so much. Okay, so so that was Monday. Let's talk about Tuesday. Uh, high level week is kicking off today, this morning, without four of five UN Security Council members. First of all, John, what is the UN Security Council, and and I guess why does it matter? Yeah. Okay. So um, a crude analogy, and I don't, it's not quite right, but a crude analogy just for folks to wrap their heads around it is the Security Council is kind of like the executive branch of the UN government. Um, the General Assembly is kind of like the legislature where they they pass resolutions and, and, and sort of agree to things. And the Security Council is kind of where they enact a lot of that stuff. You know, they put, you know, they, they can do things like pass resolutions to put peacekeeping troops in places, um, sanctions, um, these kinds of things. So it's the, it's again, it's not a great analogy, but that's the best I think I can come up with. Um, has five permanent members who don't change. Uh, that's the US, France, uh, the UK, Russia, and China. Uh, they each have a veto, which means that anything that gets to the Security Council, any of those five countries can veto that resolution. And it also has 10 non-permanent members that rotate every two years by election. And they can be from any UN member state. And, and actually, I was involved in a very small way with the Australian uh, campaign to get on the UNSC back in, oh, it must have been about 2014. Um, I'm showing my age there. Um, and, you know, it was a remarkable process. It was a proper election campaign. We spent tons of money and flew the foreign minister and other ambassadors around the world to genuinely go to countries and say, hey, please vote for us when the, the Security Council elections come up. Uh, we, we got on there. Um, it would be for someone else to kind of opine about the usefulness of those two years on the Security Council. I, I don't I don't know enough about it to, to, to give an opinion. But yeah, anyway, that's just a it was it was a kind of a crazy process. I didn't realize that it was genuinely like an election. I just thought it was kind of a point you get appointed, but you know, it was a big deal. A bit like FIFA, maybe. We we were talking about <laughs> uh Maeda's accomplishments at her at her young age. It is amazing, and listeners won't know this, it is amazing that you were involved in those negotiations at the age of 15. <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah, I was. I achieved <laughs> things early. That's right. <laughs> okay, so, so not much of an opinion there on the significance of Australia's position on the Security Council. Regardless, John, what do you make of the decision by these four countries to, to skip the summit, to skip the UN General Assembly? Yeah, look, put simply, I don't think it's a good look. Um, if I'm being less hyperbolic, Russia and China pretty regularly don't send their leaders to the to the UNGA week. Um, you know, I think Xi Jinping kind of attends by voice or like a, by video a conference every so often and, and Vladimir Putin doesn't turn up very often. He obviously this year has an international arrest warrant out, so that makes things complicated. That, that or, pesky thing. Yeah, although if he were to attend, technically he's covered by diplomatic immunity, So, but he probably just doesn't want to test a, a JFK border guard's mood on any given day. But um, so, but but France and the UK not turning up is 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 rarer, and I don't think it's a good look. Right? Um, we're we're at a time where both of those countries are regularly saying that they are trying to make, you know, links with the global south, with the broader world. They are construct. They're trying to play a constructive role, and I I don't think it's a great look for them both to not turn up for what is. 
you know, 24 to 48 hours of of meetings. Um, yeah, put that way. I, I don't think it's the biggest deal in the world, and I think it probably gets blown out of proportion because it's easy, but it's definitely not a good look. Well, I got the chance to ask the Secretary General's spokesperson about this during his press conference yesterday. Here's that exchange. Has the Secretary General spoken with any of the delinquent leaders of the Security Council, and what does he make of the decision? What, what they, do you mean by delinquent leaders? The leaders that have decided not to attack. Ah, okay, okay. Just, uh, <laughs> you know, if my son doesn't show up at school, he's a delinquent. But uh, I'm not sure I would use the same terminology. However, I will answer your question. Um, first of all, I think it's important to say that it, it's not as if chairs will be empty, right? Uh, they will be uh, they will be someone behind the chair of I mean we talk about the Security Council of every permanent member right each each country decides on uh, which uh, who they send to represent there obviously we very we're fully aware that there are competing demands on um, on heads of states uh, domestic demands so we're not uh, we're not taking it personally shall we say I mean, was I, am I wrong? Is that the wrong definition? I, I feel like that was the, the appropriate word to use. I think it's, I think it's spot on. I just think that uh, you'll never get a UN diplomat to agree with you, but they are delinquent. <laughs> Damn right. <laughs> well, well, John, I mean, he said, he said that the UN or at least the secretary general doesn't quote, take it personally. Should the UN take it personally? I mean, is it time to reform the body? So its members actually care to show up? Well, I think the first rule of good diplomacy is you literally can't take anything personally. That's when problems start to occur. So no, the UN, sh- of course the UN shouldn't take it personally. <laughs> His answer is is entirely correct. But, um, you know, I, 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 I don't know whether it's time to reform the UNSC's membership, but I, I can tell you that France and, and uh, the UK not turning up this year has opened that question up uh, in a way that it probably wouldn't have been had they turned up. Um, you know, I think the UNS. I, I wrote. I wrote in yesterday's newsletter that the the UN in general, I think, is at a real low ebb of its influence at the moment. Um, we talked about why. I think the UN Security Council, as the kind of meat and potatoes of the UN, the executive body, is is really struggling with the challenges around the world right now. I think the war in Ukraine kind of laid bare how fragile the the kind of international global consensus or a model that relies on consensus from disparate countries laid bare how fragile that is um, and especially when you know Russia and China have a veto you don't you're not going to get a whole lot done in in 2023 I think your question about reform um, President Biden at last year's General Assembly uh, kind of introduced this idea of reforming the UNSC's membership I think he said that they might create something like five or six more permanent member seats so don't have to get elected, get appointed. And I think he, he referred to like a, an African position, a Latin American position, generally designed to be more inclusive and to get opinions from a far more representative um, swathe of countries. Uh, and then to add some some non-permanent members as well. But, but the key thing here in the reforms that he kind of alluded to last year is that the veto wouldn't change. These new countries wouldn't get a veto. So it fundamentally wouldn't change the power dynamics of the of the UNSC. But it would expand the membership and have perhaps more global buy-in because more voices are at the table. Great stuff. John, I mean, the, we got the big speeches coming up tomorrow. As we talked about at the beginning of the conversation, I have a penchant for opening doors that I shouldn't open. Let's say 
Good. I open the door on the first floor of the General Assembly Hall tomorrow and make my way to the podium. Who do you want me talking to? And what's the big question you want me asking? Well, um, seek the most uh, senior person you can and be as inflammatory as you can so that we make that we go viral on <laughs> on all the socials. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think the question that I'm interested in in tomorrow, and it might be a little bit fiery and a little bit provocative, but is that will we as a, you know, our work, but generally, will people care about the UN in twenty years? Oh. Ten years is too. Ten years is too close. I think you know these things decline slowly. So in ten years, the UN I think will still be relevant. But in twenty years, looking out to twenty forty three, are we still going to be attending UNGA? Are we still going to be writing about it, or will it be completely irrelevant? So I think that'd be a provocative question. If you want to get kicked out of the UN quickly, ask that question. We had the same problem last night. You're doing everything you can to convince me to get myself kicked out of the UN. I don't know what. And your if, you, if you're still there by Friday, you'll have done a great job. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll see if we can uh, reconnect on this tomorrow. Talk to you then. Cheers, Ethan.